We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I want to talk more about the Asbury College revival in Wilmore, Kentucky. Essentially, I want to go back to yesterday and ask the question again. Is it appropriate for Christians to ask questions about revivals? I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you so much for listening into the show. So yesterday, the entire show was dedicated to the Asbury College revival that's taking place. It started on February 8th, and as of today's show, it's still going on. And it's caught the attention of the nation. At least it's caught the attention of a lot of conservative Christians in various different denominations across the country. People are watching this on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and whatnot. They're listening to it on the radio. They're listening to it on Christian Broadcasting Network. Interviews have been conducted there. Some people have driven for miles to be part of it. Some people are even flying from across the country to go to Hughes Auditorium on Asbury College's campus there in Wilmore, Kentucky. Now, a couple corrections that I want to make before I go further. Yesterday, I said that Asbury College was in Asbury, Kentucky. That was obviously a mistake on my part. Sometimes all of us get going in the things that we're saying, and we don't even hear the mistakes that we just committed. I know that Asbury College is in Wilmore, Kentucky. As far as I know, there's not even a town called Asbury. I also want to make a couple other things clear, just for those that are listening in that may not know the history of this particular institution, Asbury College, uh, Wilmore, Kentucky, the town, as well as another institution of higher education that exists right across the street, literally from Asbury College, and that is Asbury Seminary. Um, I know uh, Alyssa Childers' podcast, she referred to the revival taking place at Asbury Seminary. Now, that was an error, and I think she's acknowledged that error. I think it was also one of those things that you just say while you're being spontaneous, in a podcast, on radio, or just in personal one-on-one conversation, you don't realize that you just made a mistake. So don't allow yourself to get distracted by the fact that Alyssa Childers made a mistake in referring to this revival taking place at Asbury Seminary. It's technically not the case because Asbury Seminary is directly across the street from Asbury College. Two separate institutions, two separate boards, two separate budgets, They were connected at one time historically, but that long ago ceased to be the case. They separated, and they now exist as two separate institutions. Um, Asbury College is a member of the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities. It's one of, oh, 120, 130 or so Christian colleges, Christian liberal arts colleges that exist across the nation. Oklahoma Wesleyan University, the institution that I was president of, was a part of the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities, too, at one time. Now, 
I took Oklahoma Wesleyan out of the CCCU, the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities, because the CCCU became very soft on the issue of LGBTQIA. If you recall my story there, the president of the CCCU, a woman by the name of Dr. Shirley Hoekstra, who has her offices in Washington, D.C., called upon all university presidents within the organization to immediately have a conversation, her language, uh, about Obergefell, the Supreme Court's decision to make gay marriage the law of the land. Uh, as you know, and I won't belabor the story again here, I'll just say this. Uh, I took issue with that. I asked Dr. Hoekstra, what are we supposed to have a conversation about? I think we're supposed to confess our sins, not sit around and talk about them. It sounds to me like you're capitulating that you're actually opening the door for homosexual marriage to be part of the body of Christ, to be part of the Christian college community. Therefore, I stepped away from this organization, the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities, because of its compromise. So I, I probably need to make that clear. Full disclosure, I disagree with Asbury College's decision to stay in the CCCU. I think it was... Um, a modest compromise at best to remain part of an organization that was becoming soft on that issue. Um, another point of full disclosure, Asbury College is part of my church tradition. Asbury College has been a college for the Armenian side of the evangelical discussion. Uh, it's the flagship in many ways of the holiness denominations, uh, colleges, and universities. Uh, some other institutions are probably going to be offended that I put Asbury as the flagship, but historically speaking, Asbury has been right up there at the top. Uh, it's uh, been a college for conservative Methodists, for conservative Free Methodists, for conservative Nazarenes, for conservative Wesleyans. It's uh, The Salvation Army has had uh, a direct impact on Asbury College, and Asbury College has served the Salvation Army for decades. So that's the denominational uh, reality, character, DNA of Asbury College. And then one last bit of full disclosure. I'm so closely connected to Asbury College that uh, I was once offered the presidency there and stepped away from it, turned it down, because I felt I should stay at Oklahoma Wesleyan University at the time. So I know Asbury College well. I've got friends that work there now. I've had friends that used to work there that have moved on to other colleges and universities. There, there's a good work that has taken place at Asbury College. However, what I want to make clear is that just because you have good people there that are continuing to try to do good work doesn't mean that you should stop asking questions. Don't be mean-spirited. Don't be vitriolic. Don't just try to get a dig in because you think somebody has made a mistake. But if there's something going on that's catching national attention and you have some questions because nobody has spoken to the issues that you think are important, I don't think it's wrong for you to raise your hand and say, excuse me, can you explain this to me? I'm hearing X, but I'm not hearing Y. Can you talk to me a little bit about this? And I think that's what Alicia Childers did in her podcast that I played yesterday for you. Uh, not the whole thing, but a little bit of it. I also think it's important that we continue to listen to other folks that are asking good, rational, patient, kind, and biblical questions. And that's what I'm going to deal with today, as well as expose to you some of the social media posts that are being 
put out there by some stu- at least one student that's part of this revival. And I want you to think about what the student is saying within the context of this being celebrated. It's very important that we listen to the whole thing. So let's take a break, and when I get back, I'll read a couple of these quotes to you and give you further commentary. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one-year maintenance, and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. So if you didn't listen to yesterday's show, I probably should go back and set the context again. On February 8th, Asbury College had one of its required chapels on its campus. They have chapel three times a week. Like a lot of Christian colleges do, Asbury College still requires students to attend chapel. I think that's a good thing. We did that at Oklahoma Wesleyan when I was president there. Chapel is generally a time just to present the gospel to students. At least that was my philosophy at Oklahoma Wesleyan. It's a time for students to hear the gospel, to participate in some praise and worship, maybe to get an update or two on the state of the university, what's going on that week or on that day, and then move on from chapel and on to the classroom for the rest of the day. It's, it's in many ways, the heart and soul of the Christian college So, bottom line, I think chapel is a good thing. I think Christian colleges should have chapel. I think it should be required, and I think it's great that Asbury College still does that. Uh, At this particular chapel service, there was a standard presentation made, sermon, homily, chapel uh, talk, whatever you want to call it. But rather than students just dispersing, several of them stayed, continued to engage in praise and worship, testimonies and whatnot. And that is continuing to go on to this day. And today is February 15th, just for the sake of context. So what started happening a few short hours or maybe a day later is several people across the country started uh, reposting or tweeting or Facebooking about this ongoing chapel service, and they started defining it as revival. And it has made national news. It's been been trending on social media. And why is it... uh, Important? Well, it's important because revival is important. We need to revive our hearts. Christians should be praying for 
and humbly seeking God to grant us a reprieve, to bring revival to our culture and to our families, to our communities, to our churches, and to ourselves. I Absolutely, not disparaging it at all. But my question is, what is being revived? What message led to this revival? Is repentance and confession the premise, the very context, the foundation, the springboard for this revival? And if so, what is it that you're confessing and what are you repenting of? I've asked those questions and yesterday I made it clear on my radio show on this podcast that I think those questions are good to ask and I don't think people that are asking them should be disparaged and be categorized as somehow being against revival or not being attentive to the Holy Spirit. Some people are given the gift of discernment. I think that's one of the clear biblical gifts that some people within the body of Christ have. And if you have that gift, if you sense in your heart and your soul that something is right or something is wrong, I think you have the obligation to exercise that gift, humbly so, um, prayerfully so. You should never hide that gift under a bushel, if you will. You should never hide your light under a bushel. If you do, you're hurting the body of Christ because you're not being the hand that you're supposed to be or the eye or the mouth or the ear that you're supposed to be. Don't squelch or silence your gifts. My discernment on this particular issue is caution, trust but verify. I I want it to be true, but I'm concerned that I haven't heard a couple things. A lot of the commentary out there seems to be general commentary, that this revival is bringing the church, the folks at Asbury's campus, deeper and wider. I don't know what that means. Deeper and wider in what? I, I just don't understand that. I'm sorry. I don't mean to mock that, but I'd like to get something a little bit clearer, something better defined. If you're going to call it revival, define it better than just saying things are getting deeper and wider. Also, I'm not hearing a lot about the confession of some major issues that our culture should be confessing. Uh, The major sins of our time, the rainbow sins, the racism sins, the the extra-biblical a religion that's being promoted within the woke evangelical church right now, the radical Gnosticism that is running rampant throughout the church, the existentialism that is trumping the empirical facts of Scripture. I'm not hearing much about that. I'm not hearing anything about that in the posts that I've been reading with regard to this revival. But here is one post that a friend of mine shared with me yesterday. Now, it apparently was taken down immediately because whoever put it out there realized that this could really put a negative spin on things. But this is one of the posts of an individual, a guy that's attending, I guess it's a student, Um, I'm not sure. It doesn't matter in a sense, but it's somebody who was there It's celebrating this revival. And here's what they say in celebration. I'm going to read it verbatim, okay? We've been holding the sacred space now for 24 hours a day since Wednesday. Last night was the fullest I'd ever seen the chapel with pockets of prayer and worship filling the room and spilling outside. I was skeptical at first, sure, but I've seen people reorient their relationship with God and with others. I've felt called to pray with and reconcile with specific people. People have approached me and prayed for my specific needs. In the last few days, he goes on to say, I've prayed against homophobia 
and racism. I've reconciled with unexpected people. I've felt the spirit shift in my soul, and I've participated in the sacredness of this student-led focus on God's beautiful work. Full stop right there. All right. In the last few days, I've prayed against homophobia and racism, and I've reconciled with unexpected people. I felt the spirit shift in my soul. What spirit is he talking about here, folks, if his focus is praying against homophobia and racism? Is he repenting of the sexual immorality that is the core of this claim of homophobia? Is he repenting of the lack of logic and the pretension of saying that somebody who disagrees with a given form of sexual activity is somehow afraid of it? Again, just because I disagree with homosexuality doesn't mean I'm homophobic. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid to talk about it. I'm just trying to be biblical about what the Bible defines as sin. And racism? What's he talking about? If you don't embrace CRT and the radical neo-Marxism that is pervasive within critical theory, if I don't embrace that, I'm a racist? Is that what he's praying against? Homophobia and racism? I've reconciled with unexpected people. I've felt the spirit shift in my soul. I'm not too sure what spirit we're talking about. He goes on to say this. He says, I'm not saying that it's been perfect for everyone. I know someone who had a hard time there last night. Church hurt runs deep, and not everyone who is there is there honestly and with kind intentions. There is so much discipleship and relationship with God and care for the marginalized that needs to happen. But I knew, do know that God is working in the lives of those at the university and sending them out with fervor. Okay, that's what he quoted. Now, repenting of homophobia and racism, which I assume in this sense probably means repenting of anything that smacks of conservative views, um, judging people by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. That's what I assume he means here. And then he goes on to use other code words such as the marginalized and church hurt and the need to be kind. All right, do you get my concern here? What is being revived? I just want to know. One of my friends said this, so if this is about true Christians repenting of their homophobia, then this is not of God. God will not revive people to defy his word. Amen. Amen. That's my point, and that's the point of those who are asking good questions about this. There, there are other Facebook posts out there, this is one, let me, let me, uh, this is from um, a guy by the name of Elijah Drake. Um, he posted this, I was at the altar praying over someone I felt called to, and a man approached me and asked what he could pray for. He felt called by the Spirit to make a drive here from out of town at 10 p.m. I didn't know what to share at first, but I finally relented and shared what had happened. We spoke for a long time, and he called me out of my parched reason and into uh, God's work in my life. He spoke to shame and to my status with God. He felt the groans of pain from the awkward middle space sexual and gender minority Christians feel in this world. 
Okay. He goes on and says, he spoke to my life and also the world around it. We prayed together. Um, we parted and I sat and cried with a friend. <sighs> the middle space sexual and gender minorities feel. Sexual and gender minority Christians feel in this world. I'm sorry. That's not biblical. And if this is the kind of stuff that is either fueling or even being accepted within this revival, then you have to go back to what my friend said. God will not revive sin. That's not his point. That's not what God does in revival. We're supposed to repent of sin, not revive it, not elevate it to our identity as a minority Christian, which is what this guy by the name of Elijah Drake just posted. It appears Elijah Drake self-identifies as LGBTQ. At least that's what somebody says as they repost his post. Do you understand my concern? Do you understand why I think it's appropriate for us to continue to ask questions? Questions that are grounded in Scripture. Questions that serve as the measuring rod outside of those things being measured. You can't have a revival if it's not grounded in something bigger and better, deeper and wider than your personal feelings and your emotions. It has to be anchored in Scripture. That was the story of, of Josiah that I mentioned to you yesterday that Alicia Childers is mentioning in her particular podcast, and I think it's very appropriate to draw us back to the example of a revival that took place in the Old Testament under Josiah's reign. Um, it was very clear what happened there. There was radical confession. There was radical repentance of everything, specifically of the worship of false gods. And we have many false gods at our time, in our time right now. Many false gods, the woke gods, the gods of Mother Earth, worshiping the environment rather than accepting the empirical reality of God in our lives, thinking that we can become as gods and rise up and control the environment rather than being good stewards of the environment. A very different priority there. We have the false gods of LGBTQIA, Critical race theory, social justice, BLM, all of these are false gods of our time. We have the false god of child sacrifice, Planned Parenthood, choice versus life. These are things that need to be confessed, and I haven't heard much coming out of the reports from Asbury that these things are leading issues, leading points of confession and repentance as the context for this revival. Here's something that another person put out there on Facebook. He's a pastor from northern Michigan. And he's referring to an interview that was conducted by the Christian Broadcasting Network with one of the students at Asbury College. It was a very positive interview. And the, the girl was very sweet. She didn't say anything explicitly wrong, but she also failed to mention any of these critical issues that we're talking about right now. So this pastor from northern Michigan is asking this question or saying these things. Um, she first, he says, this lady, this young lady speaks of the atmosphere being a safe place, a safe space. Yeah, and that is exactly what she says in the interview with, with CBN. Uh, she refers to the atmosphere being a safe space. 
This is a key word, says the pastor, uh, that's used almost exclusively by supporters on Asbury's campus of the LGBTQ plus groups, the wokeism that is still very much alive at Asbury and used by the CRT critical race theory groups of both Asbury's student body and faculty. Yes, I do rejoice, says the pastor, in this atmosphere for the students and faculty who are truly repenting, not only of their sinful deeds, but of these ideologies that I've mentioned. There are many who are in this body of people who are not repenting of these mindsets and ideologies. They must repent and abandon not only sinful deeds, but they must repent and abandon these ideologies as well. Amen. Spot on, Pastor. And then he goes on and says this. The words and phrases you do not hear this young lady use in this interview with CBN are words like confession and repentance and abandonment. She doesn't speak of these things. She doesn't speak against them, but her silence should be noted. She's not talking about that being the core, the foundation of this revival. She doesn't use words in this interview like confession, repentance, and abandonment of these ideologies or even of these behaviors. Um, these ideologies are the very culprits that cause the darkness to descend upon Asbury's campus, or any place else in America for that matter, shouldn't they be the things that are leading the revival? Will God revive a people who are not confessing these sins? We need to ask these questions. Now, the pastor goes on, he says this. He says, I'm sure I will have my share of detractors. Amen. He's going to get those. He's going to be accused of being against revival. He's not. He wants to celebrate it. But he has the gift of discernment, and he's using it. He then says, but when reading the whole of Scripture, I know I'm on solid ground. There you go. The Bible, Scriptures, God's revelation, the objectivity of that word, the inerrancy, infallibility, and authority of the Bible, the Word of God, needs to be the measuring rod of everything. Your personal life, your personal values, as well as any revival that's taking place in your life or in your church or in your country or at your college. It has to be the measuring rod outside of those things being measured. And he's making that point. He said, when reading the whole of Scripture, I know I am on solid ground. Again, he makes this clear. I praise God for whom this revival has come and for those who are biblically seeking the Lord according to his prescription of revival. However, he says, unless the students and the faculty who continue to cling to wokeism, to CRT, to coddle and lift up homosexuality and all forms of sinful sexual behavior through LGBTQ plus groups and their lifestyle, then they continue to lose out on this time when God draws near, which is sad. Now, I don't think you can get any more clear than what this pastor just said. There's nothing hateful. There's nothing even, there's nothing that even disparages the revival for those at Asbury that are actually in the midst of full repentance of their sins. There may be people, but again, the question is, why are we not hearing of confession, repentance, and abandonment of woke ideologies as well as woke behavior. Why aren't we hearing of that? Why aren't we hearing that my land, God judged Sodom 
for the sin of sexual immorality. Not only do we hear about it in the Old Testament, but we hear about it in the New Testament as well. Paul speaks to it. Peter speaks to it. James speaks to it. God judged these communities for that. But yet, we're having revival and we're not repenting of that openly. And what about the racism of critical theory, the Marxism, and the fact that critical theory is grounded in the violation of one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet? Critical theory encourages people to covet. It encourages people to be us against them. It encourages people to judge others by the color of their skin rather than the content of their character. Are we going to repent of that? And what about the worship of the earth rather than the worship of the one true God that is pervasive in the environmental movement, in the global warming climate change movement? This is the worship of Gaia. This is the worship of the goddess of earth rather than the one true God. Repentance must be at the core of any revival. And those like this pastor and others who are asking the questions good questions, biblical questions, need to be heard. Don't silence them. Don't cancel them. Don't shame them just because they raise their hand and say, what's the Bible say about this? I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.